Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Yo. Technology. What is it all about? I think there's a lot of companies that say, you know what? We're going to combine the best of both worlds. And I think they'll end up with the worst of both worlds, unless they're very intentional about it. Hello and welcome to Danny in the Valley. That is right. I'm in your podcast feed with a bonus episode because, you know, hey, why not? So I thought I'd just uh, publish this one, you know, kind of midweek as opposed to the normal Friday, Thursday, Friday drop, because recently I was able to grab a bit of time with Sid C. Brandy, who is the co-founder and the CEO of GitLab, which many of you may have heard of. They make um, software development tools and GitLab is unique in that since Seabrandy uh, set the company up back in 2012. It has been entirely remote. So today it employs 1,300 people in about 70 countries. No office. Which is just a fascinating, very unique model. And I thought it would be worth bringing him on because, you know, the world is trying to figure out how to emerge from the COVID bunker. And it, I just thought it'd be great to get Seabrandy's view on remote work, what works, what doesn't, because companies are trying all kinds of different things. But it seems clear that a lot of white-collar jobs, at least, either some or all of that work, you know, people will be staying home. Some people come back to the office. There might be hybrid models, uh, others going fully remote. A lot of people are just going back to the office as well. So there's a huge shift happening and there's going to be some great successes there's going to be some total disasters as companies try to kind of navigate which is ultimately kind of a huge generational or multi-generational shift in just how we think about work and what that looks like so c brandy um hands out a bunch of pearls about how to do this not only without totally screwing up but actually having success so anyhow that's what you're about to hear right now is from Sid Seabrandy, who is the CEO of GitLab, the 1,300-strong, remote-only software company on what it means to work remotely and do it well. And I think it's something that a lot of you all and certainly a lot of CEOs and founders are thinking about. So it'll definitely give you something to chew on. So without further ado, here he is, Sid Seabrandy. Enjoy. 
Um, well, look, thank you for taking the time. So I want to have you on because the whole kind of world seems to all of a sudden be talking about, you know, the quote unquote, the return to work with vaccinations kind of being rolled out. But there's a whole array of kind of ideas that people are throwing around. And I think it's just really interesting because we're about to enter this massive experiment where we're ending this first experiment. Where we all had to stay at home. And now it's like, okay, we don't have to, but how are we going to recreate this or are we going to recreate it at all? And I was just wondering from your perspective, you've been obviously been doing this, the remote only thing since what, 2012? Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Why is the first question. Why we were remote? Because it was more practical. I'm from the Netherlands. My co-founder is from the Ukraine and our first team member that we hired was from Serbia. So that was natural. And then I started hiring a few people in the Netherlands and uh, they came to my place. I had two desks. <laughs> and then after a couple of days, they stopped coming to my place. And I'm like, well, they're late. And then <laughs> I saw them online on chat. I'm like, oh, they're just going to work from home today. Okay. And uh, the same pattern repeated. We, we came to the US and uh, they told us, look, this works for engineering, not for anything else. And we said, okay, that makes sense. We got an office and People showed up for a couple of days and then they stopped showing up at the office, but they kept working. And I think it's it, as long as you don't miss out on information and informal communication and career opportunities, people don't necessarily want to come to the office. They come to the office for those things. They don't come for the furniture or for the commute or something like that. And as you make sure that all those things are available remote, they'll, they'll gladly work remote. And is there something about, because it does feel like a lot of companies, there's this question of trust, you know, like when the pandemic first started, everybody's like, well, you know, this is going to be a disaster because the kind of the under, no one that came out and said it, but basically like all these people are working at home, they're going to be kicking their feet up or whatever, they're not going to be doing work. And obviously, in many cases, or in a lot of cases, the opposite happened. But do you think, um, how big a deal is trust, trust in your employees? And why did you guys, why did you decide just to do that as a default setting when it seems that for a lot of companies, that is not a default setting? Yeah, I think you get what you measure. So if you measure hours behind your desk, you're going to get a lot of hours behind your desk. And I think that's uh, something we're familiar with, uh, with uh, American startups. And if you measure results, you're going to get results. Results are harder to measure. But I think it's worth, as a company, to put in the extra effort and measure that instead. And so can you just give a sense to the listeners now how big you are, what the kind of the kind of the profile of the company is now, and then we can get to the specifics of kind of how that actually works. Yeah. So GitLab makes a complete DevOps platform delivered as a single application. We make a tool that helps people build software faster. And it's grown now to 1,300 team members across 60 countries, and we do more than $170 million of revenue. And why are you in San Francisco, personally? You Surely you should be in Miami or Austin right now. <laughs> yeah, I think a lot of people left. Uh, I really like the climate here, first of all. Yeah. I also really like tech, and um, lots of people here are in tech, and it's, it's great. A lot of my friends are here, so I love it here. I'm, I'm really glad that people are able to kind of now work for startups, irrespective of where they live. We've offered that to people, but only so many people can work at GitLab. So I think it's a great thing that opportunity is getting more distributed. Um, and so how does this work? So you're managing 1,300 people in 70-odd countries or so around the world. 
I mean, you've put this whole handbook online to like remote working for anybody to use and see and download, etc. But are there there are there three or four things that kind of are what make this machine really work? And not only just work, but perhaps work better than if you just had one big central office, you know, or, you know, half a dozen offices around the world. Yeah, I think it works really well. One of the things we do, you call you mentioned the handbook, over 10,000 pages. And what's important is that it's always up to date. And we do that by saying you have to work handbook first. If you change something in the organization, you first change the handbook and then you communicate that change, not the other way around. Another thing is that we organize informal communication. I think a lot of people at companies that suddenly went remote are now saying, I miss the office. And they don't miss the office. They miss just hanging out with their coworkers and talking about something else than work and just that that informal communication that builds camaraderie and trust. And you can organize that, but it's if you don't organize it and you don't promote it as a company, it feels awkward to kind of schedule 25 minutes on someone's calendar with the subject line, hey, let's just, just hang out and not talk <laughs> about work. And we do that all the time. We call them coffee chats and it's totally normal. And there's 20 more ways in which we you can stimulate that, but you have to take that effort as a company. And we see a lot of companies now hiring a head of remote to kind of ingrain that in the company. And if you don't do that, people will say, well, I'm effective, but I really miss the office. They don't miss the office. They, they miss the human contact. And you, you need to organize that. It's a lot less work than the, all the facilities management you were doing before. It's a lot less time spent than all the commuting, but you still need that informal communication. And how does that work? So say, you know, person X is on a deadline. And, you know, then there's like a half an hour coffee chat scheduled. I mean, in other words, how how do you enforce that? Because I can imagine that could be one of those things that just falls by the wayside, especially people get busy, they have things to do, they have to finish something by a certain amount of time, whatever it may be. It does feel like that would be a difficult thing to maintain, especially if you're in a busy, growing place where you got to get stuff done. Yeah, I find that the people at GitLab that are the most busy have the most coffee chats. Uh, so I don't think it has with, to do with busyness. But there is a certain extent, like people have different needs. Uh, so we, we make everyone do 10 coffee chats as part of their onboarding process. After that, it's voluntary. And there's people who say, like, they have two young children, they have very full lives, and they they just want to work, and they don't particularly care about this. And that is fine. Almost all of our meetings at GitLab are optional, and that's fine. Just like you wouldn't force someone to have a chat at the water cooler. If you just want to be heads down and do your work, that's fine. It's just that it, it doesn't work for everyone, and some people want more, and that should be available, and that should be organized, and that should be normalized. Because the other thing is, my wife is a, works at a big tech company, and it feels like what they have done is effectively take the office and just put it on Zoom. So now she just has meeting after meeting after meeting after meeting after meeting after meeting. And it feels like, you know, it just, it's exhausting and it doesn't feel particularly, it doesn't look particularly productive because you just have a lot of people with like, you know, 18 squares on her screen and everybody's kind of talking and it's, there's not much time to actually do stuff. How do you guys structure your day or how do you think about kind of meetings and how that, you know, actually, again, going back to the central question, how you get stuff done? Meetings are very expensive. So you want to prevent them. So we try to do a lot of things asynchronous. And that means using issues, using proposals. If you want to do a presentation, 
that's great. You just can't present in meetings. It's not allowed. So you send the presentation beforehand. If you want to present it, that's fine too. You send a video 24 hours before so people can watch it whenever they want. Then during the meeting, we use Google Docs very effectively. Like we allow people to kind of ask questions in the doc and then verbalize them later on. And then also one important rule is that you don't have to pay attention during meetings. So it's totally <laughs> acceptable to just be doing your email or your, 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 the, the, the real work on the side. And it's okay if someone asks a question that you ask them to repeat it because you weren't paying attention. We wear that as a badge of honor. People have stuff to do. And it would be very weird if 100% of a meeting is, is interesting and relevant to you. That's not going to be the case, and that's fine. So some presentations are banned, basically. Presentations are great. Please send a slide deck to everyone. <laughs> You want to give a presentation? Even more awesome. Put them put them online. If you go to GitLab, YouTube, Unfiltered, you'll find a ton of our presentations. And their requirements, or they're not requirements, they're stuff you send out before the meeting. People don't necessarily have to watch it to participate in the meeting. If you miss something, there's no shame in that. But don't spend this very special synchronous time we have, especially across time zones. It's very hard to get everyone in the same meeting, spend that for what a meeting is really good for it, a quick back and forth, not someone droning on about a presentation for half an hour. So can you, and you, you said something that's just said, was interesting. You said meetings are expensive. What do you mean by that? It's hard to, for everyone, like remote makes you more flexible, but if you have a meeting, you're not flexible. It's hard to be in a supermarket while I'm in the meeting. It's hard to take care of kids while I'm in the meeting, near impossible. So it, it burdens everyone by making them less flexible. It's also like if you do it across time zones, there's only so many hours that it overlaps and everyone wants that spot and people have to make trade-offs. So it's very expensive time and it should be treated as such, which means there should be clear proposals to respond to and people should have quick back and forth and not monopolize the time in the meeting. Um, and how do you on onboard people? Because obviously, you know, every company, every paper I've worked at, you know, you get in there in the first week, you have to sit in a meeting or sit in a room for three days and go through all the corporate stuff and watch videos and fill out a bunch of forms and kind of probably do some corny team building exercise. And then you can go actually do your work. That doesn't feel like the best way to do it. But uh, obviously, remote presents different challenges. Yeah. So when you start at GitLab, you get an issue assigned, your onboarding issue. It has about 200 things you and your manager need to do. So everything your manager has to do for you or someone else in the company is also in there. So you can check it. So you know what they still owe you. And then there's no time limit on it. If you do it really fast, you do it really fast. And none of the videos are required except uh, those required by state law. So you can work at your own speed. And we have a ton of videos. They're embedded in the handbook, so you can either read or watch the video or do both or do neither. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. 
You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. And have you ever raised uh, venture capital for GitLab? Yeah, we have. We're up to the E round of uh, funding. And have you ever had any pressure from investors to be like, well, you know, this is a cool little thing you're doing. That's cute. But, you know, if this company is going to go to the moon or whatever, we think you should actually have just an office or offices or like kind of act like a quote unquote normal company. Have you had any of that pressure? For sure. 2016, uh, lots of investors passed on us with the explicit reason, look, we, we're not saying it doesn't work, but it's a risk. And we're the best investors in the world. Well, they didn't say that, but <laughs> I knew that. We don't have to take that risk. We get every good company coming by here so we can just select a company without that risk, which is an extremely reasonable position. And I had to work really hard with the investor that ended up investing to convince them that we could make this work. So I made a big presentation and then I gave the presentation in person and then he wasn't convinced. And then one of the associates stepped up. He's like, yeah, look, I know he's saying all these things and it sounds too good to be true, but really I read their handbook And I started reading this night and I hardly had any sleep because I kept reading. It's the most, one of the most interesting things, but this is for real. They're doing this really well. So in the end, our transparent handbook, just having that online helped us to close that money. Now, of course, the tide has shifted. Even before the pandemic, some investors were already like, remote is really good and GitLab's doing really well. I'm going to invest, I'm just going to raise a fund to just invest in remote companies because they have such a advantage in competing for talent and and making sure that their people are effective. Well, and I mentioned this on a previous podcast, we had a CEO on here a few months back and he said he had just closed down his office. Like, I'm never going to open an office again because now this gives, being fully remote gives me a superpower in that I can just hire the best person wherever they may be. I mean, how, how core to this whole operation or this whole philosophy is that for you? It's very important. A company is all about the people, the quality of people that work there. And it's bonkers to limit yourself to like the tiny area around your office. It doesn't make sense. There's there's talented people all across the world. So the more you can access that, the better. And as people, as all these companies are, I mean, because it feels like every company has a slightly different strategy for kind of this kind of return to work or reopening offices or whatever it may be post-pandemic. Are there absolute no-nos that from your experience, having done this now for nine years, that you'd be like, okay, if you're thinking about remote or part remote or whatever, maybe steer clear of X, Y, and Z? Yeah, I, I think that the unintentional hybrid is a big risk. So some companies will go back to co-located, all the companies where you have to ask permission to work remote for more than 14 days. I think that's very defensible. 
We know that works. Co-located works fine. Some companies will stay on remote, very defensible. That will work. I think there's a lot of companies that say, you know what, we're going to combine the best of both worlds. And I think they'll end up with the worst of both worlds, unless they're very intentional about it. There are some companies that are doing it right. Shopify is going hybrid. They're saying, look, we're ripping out all the conference rooms. They're only going to be individual booths. So if you have a meeting at the office, everyone's going to call in from their individual booth so that the people who call in from outside the office are on the same level. Everyone has a camera, everyone has a keyboard, everyone has a monitor, everyone has equal hard time interrupting each other. Everybody's the same size square. Exactly. And if you don't do that, you're going to have the A team at the office and the B team, everyone else. And I foresee that GitLab for the next 10 years, we're going to have a great time getting people in who were at a great company that went hybrid is not very intentional about it. Those people are going to say, I don't want to be on the B team. I'm going to join a company where I'm on the A team. And do you have a sense, because you guys are, you know, you're spread out all over the world of what this does to cities like, obviously you're in San Francisco. It's been, at least for the last decade, been the kind of the hotbed of startups and all this stuff and everybody, you know, everybody. A lot of people with large Twitter followings have said, okay, I'm out of here. This place sucks. I'm going somewhere else etc, etc. Do you have a sense of, you know, as a tech founder, what this might do to, say, San Francisco or more broadly Silicon Valley? I think that it still makes a lot of sense for a lot of the leadership in a company to be in San Francisco. This is where, for me, like a lot of the events are. So it makes total sense for me to be here. I think we had the situation that because the leadership was in San Francisco, that all the 20,000 engineers also had to be in San Francisco. I think those days are gone. Those engineers can just work from wherever they want. So I think we're going to see more distribution of opportunity. At the same time, software is still growing, probably from 5% of GDP today to probably 10% in the coming years. So I'm not betting against San Francisco. I think this place is going to do great. But I, I'm very happy that now you no longer have to move to the Bay Area with its insane rents and leaving your family behind to have a job at a cool uh, cool startup. Yeah. And what is the biggest challenge for you managing this dispersed workforce? I mean, you mentioned at the beginning, you know, it's easy to measure like, you know, time at your desk. I used to have an, an editor who is famous for his long lunches and not doing much work. And he would just come in in the morning. He would you know, drape his jacket across the back of his chair to show that he actually had arrived in the building. And then he'd be kind of gone all day and then he'd come back and pick up his jacket and go home. <laughs> but when you talk about measuring productivity, that that sounds more difficult. And I'm just wondering, is that the, is that the most difficult part of this? It is difficult. It's also really fun. I, I have a lot of fun kind of trying to derive these metrics. And for example, engineering is a notoriously hard one. And there we now say, okay, well, how many individual changes did you make that made it all the way to our users in a month? And how many did your team make? And we compensate for the size of the team. And we say, we got to get about eight a month out. And it was working really, really well. And people say, well, I can easily cheat because I'll make my changes smaller. And that's exactly what we want people to do because it's easier to review. It's easier to keep the code secure. It's, it's easier to roll it back. We learn more if we have users using that. So um, you can find a lot of our metrics. If you Google GitLab key performance indicators, a lot of them are, uh, you can actually see the actual metrics in the graphs. So I think that's 
something that's hard, but very much worth it. Working handbook first has also been hard. People keep kind of announcing the change via email or presentation or any format, but changing the handbook. So that's continually requiring kind of maintenance to make sure that people work in that way. But I think all in all, it's it's very doable. And even if you don't do some of these practices, I think remote still works. And I think the pandemic has shown that. And do you have to, uh, I mean, how many iterations of those productivity measures have you gone through since 2012? Because I imagine that's not the first one that you came up with. It's not the first one. And we keep continually kind of inventing new ones. The latest one is MRAR, which stands I'm for... I'm sorry, is what? MRAR. <laughs> you got to say it with a pirate voice, otherwise course, it's not fun. Of course. Um, it's a merge request times ARR, which means you take how many... Every change that was contributed by some organization outside GitLab, you multiply by how much they're paying us every year. And that those merge request dollars, that's what you measure. And that what we want is our biggest customers to be so bought into the platform that they treat it as their own. And if they need something, they contribute it to the platform. So we keep inventing these new measures and then seeing whether they work, whether they drive the right behavior. And if so, we keep them and we, we start steering on them. And do you buy this idea that this is, this is only good for engineering? or you know software development whatever it may be that like if i'm i don't know making an animated movie or i don't know any so something something more creative thinking of like a writer's room or something like that that you know that there are limits to this model or do you think it is truly universally applicable i think it's so far universal except for legal so in sales it's it's easy right how much did people sell marketing how much pipeline how much sales qualified leads did you make in the people function, like what's the time between someone reaching out to someone and getting them, uh, getting the offer accepted? There's lots of measures and you'll find them on the KPI page. For legal, they recently embraced OKR, so core legals, and they're doing really well on that. I'm still struggling to find key performance indicators uh, for legal because it, it tends to be kind of one-off events. Like if something goes wrong, it can be a really, really big problem. And you'd never want that to happen. How do you measure that? I think that's yeah. a tricky one. And so just stepping back, just have one or two more questions and I'll let you go because I know you're short on time. When you think about this moment, uh, especially like as we're kind of, I mean, the pandemic's still happening, but if you know, you can see the end on the horizon, at least some return to normalcy. And this idea of like all of these companies trying something a little bit different. To me, it seems like this could be quite a transformative moment. I don't know if you have, if you agree or not. Yeah, I think... This, this was transformative. The entire world learned how to work remote. And now some companies are going to double down on that. Some companies are going to totally go back. Some companies will be hybrid. But I think if you'd start a company today, I think many, many people are going to say, look, we're going to be remote from the start. So I think we'll look back 10, 20 years and the legacy companies are co-located and the new companies are all remote. And uh, I think... That's great for the world. I think it's great for people's ability to integrate uh, family and friends into their daily life. I think it's a great way to spread opportunity across the United States and across the world. So I'm really excited about this. And uh, we'll keep sharing the things we learned and we'll keep learning because uh, a lot of people are finding out a lot of great ways to make it work better, especially hybrid. Um, last question. Do you have the, a most embarrassing video conference moment 
of your past since to, of your time doing this since 2012? Uh, we certainly had uh, embarrassing video conference moments in the company that I cannot talk <laughs> about. Um, I don't know. I, I like to dress up silly. So I think anytime we can be in, in, in silly outfits, that's, that's great. And, um, I think we, uh, we had an eighties themed murder mystery, uh, recently, which was a lot of fun to dress up for. What did you dress up as like Colonel Mustard or something? I think it was lots of neon and sweatbands oh, okay, and okay. things like that. <laughs> right. Well, look, um, thank you for taking the time. It's, uh, like I said, I think it's a fascinating time. Um, and obviously you guys have been at this coal face longer than most. So I'm re- really glad to get your uh, perspective. So thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Appreciate it. And that is all the time we have. I want to thank Sid for taking the time. I want to thank you all for listening, for your ratings and reviews, which bring a smile to my face. And also, of course, the tips. Like I said, I know I mentioned this a lot, but the tips I get every now and then, it's just such a delight. So thank you guys for doing that. And um, hopefully this was just a nice little midweek morsel for you, or early week morsel rather, because I just thought it was relevant given where we are, at least in uh, in the UK and in the US, things are starting to open up. Obviously, our hearts go out to India and what is happening there. Hopefully, hopefully, you know, things turn the corner soon. But out here when we're talking about kind of companies opening back up, businesses opening back up and getting back to quote unquote normal, I just thought it was worth tracking down C. Brandy to kind of get his views because obviously very few people, if any, at least in the software world, have his experience on this front. So hope you enjoyed that. I'll be back later this week. Normally scheduled programming with a Thursday, Friday pod. So stay tuned for that. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.